0: you are listening to golden otter divinations where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with autumn seibel tune in 9 a.m pacific the first friday of every month as autumn helps you manifest your dreams by connecting to loved ones in spirit empowering you to find both physical and spiritual healing are you ready to transform your life and connect to divine guidance through practical strategies Golden Otter Divinations is the place to find engaging interviews with medical experts, practicing mediums, intuitives, healers, and many more. Now, here's your host, Autumn Seibel. Hi, everyone. I'm Autumn, and you're listening to
1: Golden Otter Divinations on Transformation Talk Radio. Stay with us for the next hour as we explore where the metaphysical meets the mainstream. Join us live each first Friday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, when we have new, informative, and engaging interviews with medical experts, practicing mediums, intuitives, healers, and many more to help uplift, educate, and empower listeners like you to find physical and spiritual healing. In a time of wrapping and evolving mindsets about what it means to live on planet Earth, studies by environmental groups warn of the need for drastic changes if the world hopes to make meaningful progress on climate change. To do this, it won't be enough for cars and factories to get cleaner domestically or abroad. The cattle, pork, and poultry industries, as well as our agricultural fields, will have to become radically more efficient as well. Before the agricultural industrial revolutions that afforded the exponential growth of the world's population, however, humans lived subsistence lifestyles, procuring their own food locally. Join us today for an invigorating discussion on what it means to be a hunter and gatherer in the modern age while turning an eye towards the future on how ancient practices and intuitive mindset shifts can feed the world's growing population. So my guest today is none other than my little brother, Austin Manelik. I wasn't sure I was gonna introduce him as that, but this guy is so close to my heart and I'm so proud of him, but I just wanna shout him out. Born and raised hunting and fishing in Alaska, Austin always called the last frontier home. With an early affliction for filming, he took to the mountains with a camera, rod and rifle. His passion for the outdoors, conservation, and being a role model for the next generation of sportsmen can be found in his films, articles, and social media stories. Austin is an advisory committee member of the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, founder of Mission Alaska, a Penn State alumni, proud husband, and father. Without further ado, welcome to Golden Otter Divinations, Austin.
2: Hey, how you guys doing?
1: So glad to have you on. This is like our first collaboration in, in, this, in this space. This is going to be fun. Cool. Colab. Wah, wah. <laughs> so, to raise our vibration and really get in the flow, I like to start the show by asking all my guests if they've had any golden moments lately. So, golden meaning a time you were just totally in the flow or an interaction you knew was sent by spirit or otherwise otherworldly. Something that made you smile and made your heart sing. Have you had any golden moments lately?
2: Yeah, actually, on the last hunt where I was packing out a mountain goat, uh, bringing home some. Finding meats. I found some meat, and I was bringing it home to my family, and it put me in a position where I was clinging to life. It's kind of in the balance there uh, for a few hours. While I was coming across something, something real gnarly is a, a mountain face, and I was carrying out a whole goat on my back, and I kind of I had this superhuman strength moment where I, I mean, I was packing at least my weight up and over a mountain face, and uh, if I didn't have that, please Lord, help me now. Um, Please God give me the strength. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what I've done. So I, I came home safely to my family, and uh, it's just pretty remarkable what a human's willing to do to bring home wild meat to their, to their loved ones. So that wow. was that was pretty golden to me.
1: That is golden. Or just to get home to our loved ones. They always say that like women trying to get home to their children, or tr- not even get home to their children, trying to save their children, can you know lift their body weight and or lift the weight of a car, things like that. And you always wonder Mm -hmm. where that comes from, and um, you know if the divine endues us with superpowers when it comes to family. And speaking of my nephew, Keeper, and your son is back there, and that's why I think this um, episode is so meaningful for us because we grew up in a subsistence lifestyle um, in a rural town in Alaska, and um, I've always wanted to unpack this because I, you know, we're active duty military, we lived all over the all over the country and all over the world, and for. Procuring our food in the modern world takes on a different meaning than how we grew up So something I want to talk with you about is hunters and gatherers in the modern age So what exactly does it mean to you to be a hunter and gatherer in the modern age?
2: So in this day and age being a modern hunter it, It's not just about providing food for your family and in some places in Alaska Yes, it's absolutely true and they kind of view it a little bit differently although the respect for the animal is um, Upmost and the highest, Um, but really, if you're in the modern world, uh, like if you're in the Wi-Fi zones, um, (laughs) it's you know, it's. I like
1: that definition. If you if you have Wi-Fi, you are in the modern world. I like that. (laughs) That's pretty. That's as good of a definition as we're gonna get.
2: Right. Well, it's it's not just you know about being a hunter or having like an ego or hubris and that bravado, it's, it's really knowing where your food comes from. And there's so many different shapes to a modern hunter, whether it's trophy hunting, subsistence hunting lifestyle. Um, It's just, it's interesting where it's evolved and it's kind of, you know, we're in the day and age of social media. So um, if you share these experiences, your message could be heard by thousands of people.
0: Yeah. So
2: modern hunters have to be like very cognizant of their message and um, why they hunt. And furthermore, why they share their experiences on social platforms so if you do share this message you've now become like an influencer and it's not just uh, other hunters that you're influencing um, or even the anti-hunters but it's like the non-hunters the generalists that really like can decide a lot for how that message is seen and portrayed so seems like if you're a hunter and you're on social media now like the real modern hunter the next generation of hunters Um, you know, you're a public agent almost for hunting, engaging actively on social media. So modern hunter, it's just, how deep do you want to go? I don't think we can cover this. We could just spend an hour on this uh,
1: question. (laughs) So this is something that we have talked about in our family for the last 30 years, because we were raised in a subsistence lifestyle. And what that means is our father, mother, family, and friends were hunters and fishers and they would go out and procure their own meats. Um, Sometimes we would grow our own vegetables, but in Alaska with long winters and short growing seasons, that wasn't always practical. A lot of the people we grew up with did, and they canned their own foods. And in the summers, we would go out to the potato farms and the potato patches and dig as much up as we could and um, can and preserve those things. But uh, when we all went off to college, we more or less you know, joined the, the mainstream lifestyle of eating out and, and getting our food from grocery stores. And that's not to say that we didn't also do that growing up. Um, but the 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 majority of the food that we would consume was from the earth. And we would know, you know, where that came from, what what um, rivers the salmon were, spri- were swimming in, what um, land the moose were grazing in. And I always had a hard time as a kid. I was super sensitive. And you guys have always, like, I i went fishing once and had to throw it back i just was never i never enjoyed it it always made my heart break and i understood that we were eating the animals to feed our bodies and i still had a um i don't know like a conscientious objection against it later we'll talk about what um the announcement that my six-year-old ellie just made about chickens and How she's not eating chicken nuggets anymore because it comes from chicken. So this consciousness starts really early with kids and if you um, Can nurture it in a really healthy way. That's uh, the most advisable way to go But anyways, what we were talking about is you're a hunter I'm more of a gatherer now as I am raising a family in the modern world in the lower 48 and now we're going overseas I go out and I look for food that's um, ethically sourced if it's not from the forest what farm is it from and um you know, how was that how was that animal raised and then how was that animal? killed Because um, as much as I don't like saying that that is what has to happen for us to go on and I know I sound like such a um, a Tender heart, but I I do believe that when we eat some the meat of something we are taking that spirit into us and there's this um, idea in uh, metaphysics and it's kind of emerging in science this idea of um, cross-transference, species cross-transference, and it's kind of the idea you are what you eat and you can kind of like take on the characteristics of those animals. We'll get into that another time, but I'm gonna ask you a question. How can individuals become more conscious of their food purchasing and meat consumption habits? So if they live in an area where they could hunt or fish, how can they do that? How could they get started if maybe they weren't raised in a lifestyle? And if that's not an option, what, um, what's available for people to purchase on the economy? You know, like I know in some places they sell bison meat and things like that.
2: Oh wow I mean that's where do you go there um without just staying on the soapbox and and preaching from what I know, but you know how how can you become more conscious of your food and like where where can you get started i mean there's there's urban hunters like in the pittsburgh area I mean any of the urban areas the uh, new Jersey, there's people who are you know have five acres on these huge uh multi hundred thousand dollar homes sometimes million dollar homes where they've got deer the deer coming into their yard and hunters are knocking on their door and asking for permission um granted uh in certain states you have to have hunter safety and, and hunter safety education that's a course where you go and really that that teaches you the fundamentals of uh becoming a hunter why you're becoming a hunter uh how to do it legally, properly, um, and also kind of a history of hunters. So it's not just going out there and being able to like legally hunt, but like really like backtracking uh, on the importance of your decision to go in and get your hunter education. So if anybody's interested, I suggest they go in and get their hunter education. Uh, every state provides them. There's online courses, and then you have to take a shooting proficiency course, um, and then there's mentorship programs out there, but. I mean, everywhere from urban environments all the way out west and into the wilds of Alaska. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can get involved. And it's just like a, a click away for the modern hunter. I mean, um, and, in certain states, you actually are required by state law if you were born. I believe it's uh, 1986. Uh, if you're born before that, you don't have to take your hunter education, but I suggest it. And I've actually gone to—I can't tell you how many times I've gone Look to you're hunter 33 education. and up. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> they don't want to tell you what to do if you're like Hand a raise. serious. Adult. <laughs> right. Um, but the, yeah, there's, there's plenty of ways to get involved. Uh, hunter education, um, hunter—I think it's hunteredonline.com. I, I yeah. should have uh, pulled that up before I went. But that's the way you can get involved, and Very you know, cool. there's also conflict with uh, with with that being—you know—if you're hunting in urban environments. And, so and different we, people's feelings. So really, uh, feelings. then if you if you're not doing it correctly, you can get on the wrong side.
1: So you're saying right, educate so. yourself. Get educated.
2: There's, there's, yeah, what's available in your area. That's
0: the first. Not just, yeah. And,
2: and there's so much in in depth. Once you once you like peel back a chapter, you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, there's volumes on it. But I mean, humans by nature we're, we're meat eaters. We evolved. It's that way. It's our DNA. And, you know, so I won't speaking lie. Speaking of,
1: oh. We gotta take yeah. a break. But when we come back, we will talk about that because that's how that's what's next. How can we make peace with make with eat eating meat? And are there any practices hunters can do to bless the meat and release the soul of the animal? But we're gonna take a break. You're listening to Golden Otter with Autumn Seibel. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more on what it means to be a hunter and gatherer in the modern age with Mission Alaska founder, Austin Manella. Stay tuned. Are you new to playing with the law of attraction or a seasoned pro looking for an easy and organized way to monitor your co-creation endeavors as you draw them from the immaterial planes into your physical reality? Then join me over at goldenotter.us for bi-monthly new and full moon rituals where we plant seeds of intention, then harvest the fruits of our desires as part of a dynamic community in the members-only Lunar Manifestations Forum. I'm Autumn Seibel, host of Golden Otter Radio, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream, and I can't wait to meet you. We are back on Golden Auto Radio with B. Autumn Seibel. My guest today is outdoor enthusiast and woodsman extraordinaire, Austin Minelik, who's talking with us about the difference between trophy hunting and feeding families by knowing the source of our food. But before we continue, I want to make sure everyone knows how to contact him. So Austin, could you please give us your contact info for listeners?
2: If you really want to get the inside scoop, you're going to head on out out to uh, Instagram, mission underscore Alaska. That's where you can find all the links to everything and keep up to date with my story. And if you okay. want to buy any sweet swag like this Golden Ghost shirt that I got, <laughs> missionak.com.
1: Missionak.com is your website. And then you are on Instagram at mission underscore Alaska.
2: Oh, yeah. You can find me anywhere online. Missionak <laughs> for show.
1: All right. That's the inside fact. All right. So now we're going to talk, um, we're going to move beyond trophy hunting. We're going to talk about moving beyond trophy hunting to feeding families by knowing the source of your food. Okay, so without getting too heated and too wild because we have had this conversation for the last 15 years between the two of us What do you say about trophy hunting allegations? Because like you were saying earlier when you um, Are on a public platform you can Draw the ear of people who would you know say that you're just doing it for the trophies. What do you say to that?
2: So trophies, regardless of, of what animal you harvest, whether it's a button buck for your first animal or a trophy whitetail buck or anything in between, um, even big game like uh, Alaska trophy bull moose. Well, if you take the, that animal and you just take the trophy value, um, to some people it's the horns, to me, it's, or the antlers, to me, it's the meat. If you were just to take that out of the field, there are serious consequences to that with the law. Like you will be yeah. arrested, you will be fined if you were caught. So that being said, you can't really technically be um, a trophy hunter just hunt for the meat. So you can't take the you can't everything uh, of the meat of meat value has to be removed from the field before the trophy can even be removed from the field. And it's once and again, that can
1: require multiple trips, right? If you get a moose, then you're packing it out by, by yourself yeah
2: it's really tough so that being said that's that's where that lies like if you if you take out the trophy value and leave everything you just become a poacher potentially a felon they're serious there's uh the interstate compact which if you have one violation you can be penalized and lose your hunting privileges across the entire 50 states besides hawaii they're, they're like the last one to join so at any rate trophy hunting is you know is what it is the meat is going to go to a place uh So you can donate the meat when you're done, but you have to get the meat all the way out and it's got to be edible and you can donate to programs like Hunter for uh, Hunters for Hungry, um, food banks, there's all sorts of places that take uh, meat. So, and basically be a a trophy hunter. I mean, even that being said, you're going to spend, if you're going to go to another state and hunt, if you're going to hunt your own state, you're spending money on uh, hunting licenses, uh, your tag fees, transportation to get there you're stimulating local economy and then with you know following that you got the north american um the north american model of wildlife conservation they also have the robertson Pittman wildlife act so anytime that anybody spends any money towards hunting fishing um outdoor recreational shooting there's an excise tax that goes directly into into the federal fund and the state agencies where that money funds biologists to stay in the field, biological research, it funds wildlife troopers, it funds all these different things to keep it going. So hunters, even if you're a trophy hunter and you're spending your money, that is going towards wildlife conservation, 100%. So That's
1: you know, if that was that was a conversation you and I had maybe Five six years ago, we really got into it, and I was just like, you know what, Austin? It was it was around when Mission AK was really starting to grow, like gain a following, and you were you'd started the business; so it was an official thing. And as your sister, I was like, oh man, I love you, and I want to support you, but I just I, I can't get behind this hunting stuff. And um, you, you really did educate me on the amount of money that hunters and, and fishermen bring into the domestic economy. To um, To preserve our resources, to preserve our our lands and and water sources, and just the natural resources that I wouldn't have thought that um, hunter money goes to. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I don't think having, if I didn't have you as a brother and having been raised in the family, it's not something I ever would have investigated. I probably would have just vilified and said, like, hunting, it's not for me. Don't like it. Don't not into it. But this Mm -hmm. is part of our soul's journey. This is part of our family's journey that... We are, we were raised in the same house, but have different views on the same subject. And, um, yeah, getting educated is a a good start. And so
2: think about this this. market hunting, like the North American Buffalo and bison, they were almost hunted to extinct because people like meat that much. Well, once you start putting value to a resource, like a, like a trophy, like an animal, there's people who are willing to go and pay for that. So you have the North American model of wildlife conservation and they outline some things. So that's the two takeaway things that I would say for anybody listening is to look at the first, the Robertson Pittman wildlife act and actually see where these hunters dollars go. And also the North American model of wildlife conservation. And here's some bullet points for the North American uh, model of wildlife conservation. So the wildlife is, as public trust resources so these are our animals we own them the states don't own them we own them so people are paying for them that's why poachers get in serious trouble because they're part of the public um and then number two we've got the elimination of markets for games so market hunting we are protecting animals so that we don't have a buffalo uh disappearance like we did and we almost hunted them to extinction uh, the brink of not ever coming back so mm-hmm. Number two, the allocation of wildlife by law. So, hunters are paying for uh, law enforcement to keep it in check. So, you can't just have somebody going out rogue and shooting animals and lopping off the head. That's not okay. And so, uh, that's number three wildlife um, should only be killed for a legitimate purpose. So, think mm-hmm. about that. Wildlife is considered an international resource. All these people are coming overseas who are coming and like experiencing um, tourism. And, and to hunt, and their meat is the same thing. Um, so, and then uh, also the, the science is the proper tool for discharge of wildlife policy. So back to biologists um, and the state agencies, and I, I, won't, I won't get into the federal agencies and trying to control state resources because that's, that's an interesting subject. And then also the, de- the democracy of hunting. So that's the North American model of wildlife conservation in a nutshell. And, and that's we can go to that. There
0: that's a
1: main. So that's the more mainstream talk on hunting. That's like the brass facts of kind of what's going on in our country um, With Mm -hmm. hunting but I you know, I want to go a little bit more metaphysical and I want to talk about um, is it is is it Is hunting to you about? The hunt for the animals. Is it about the meat for your family or is it? The preservation of a human legacy. I mean, before we had the industrial and agricultural revolutions, we had to go out and hunt and gather our own food. So even if you didn't have big game where you were, um, humans had to fish. Humans had to gather. What is what? What do you say to that? To like our ancestral roots as as human beings?
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's in our DNA, and like there's, it's hard for me to kind of ball it up and and package it up in a nice bow, uh, but. It's if if I didn't have hunting or just like the opportunity to get out and give back to our nieces, nephews Maybe um, my wife now she's she's got into hunting um, And yeah, it's a, it's like an intangible part of our DNA that you just you can make all the arguments you want How you do it where you dog going But there's something about going out and having like this mission like a purpose where you're going out That's like it's really tough to get to some of these places. Yeah, and costs a lot of money. I mean, like just going out to our family cabin, there's a plane ticket to Hawaii gone. Yeah. You know, you're looking at 300 Gas, bucks
0: fuel. Get out
2: there, fuel, yeah. and you're stopping, you're getting groceries, the local, you're, you're simulating yeah. local economy. So it's there's like all this stuff that makes you feel good about it. And then quite honestly, when you do take an animal, like there's, there's like this hunter remorse and you know, there's like uh, you know, five steps of being a sportsman or a, uh, you know, an, an outdoorsman and like actual hunting. Um, mm-hmm. and you can go back and forth, but there's, there is a sense of when you first get into it, you're really excited. And then you, when you're just going after trophies and then you're getting, giving back as a, you know, conservationist, a sportsman. But, um, at the end of the day, there should be some sadness because, you know, you're turning the lights off permanently to an animal. Yeah. And if you don't feel that sadness, um, at some stage in your life and you, and you can't portray that uh it it just it it honestly just reverts back to um you know the the apocalypse of now we just have now we just have to take an animal to survive and even then um you look at the the native americans and and how they felt about taking an animal yeah
1: yeah they would bless
2: them and yeah so that's like what i do every single time i do it take animal's life even no matter who I'm with I take a minute I give them their last drink and their last meal and I say thank Uh, you very much for you
1: like that's gonna make me cry like that's why I'm I am such like in a personal zone of conflict where I still every now and then eat meat and then I feel guilty about it and it's this weird like mind trip where I know that my body needs it to be its best and to feel the like best but I also know that plants can give me that And moving away from the need for animals because at the end like like you said like they are giving us something and um, We'll talk more about this We got to take a break in a second because I want to talk more about um, Do we think that humans will ever evolve away from the need to hunt animals or slaughter animals because we really have moved away from that um, As in in bulk I mean if you look at the billions of people that there are in the world There is not enough natural wildlife to feed that population and so we've gone into more um, modern Uh, food production technologies, but um, Hold that thought. Let's 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 really talk about this when we get back. You're listening to Golden Honor Divinations I'm Autumn Seibel. We'll be right back. We are back on Golden Auto Radio with Autumn and my amazing guest today, Austin Manelik, founder of Mission Alaska, who is here discussing environmental considerations, protections, responsible resource management, and wildlife activism. So before we went to break, we were talking about do we think that humans will ever evolve away from the need to hunt animals or slaughter animals, and what would that world look like? Um, during the break, we were talking about how there was just a huge uh, beef recall. 12 million pounds of beef was contaminated and had to be um, d- discarded. 12 million pounds of beef. How many cows died for that meat? And when you look at a subsistence lifestyle, you know, how much um, time and energy goes into hunting a wild animal versus how much time and energy goes into um, producing mass. Uh, like beef poultry um or pork products and we were br- briefly talking about how those animals um are raised and how it can be often in- oftentimes inhumane and we're not getting on the people who have the small family farms and the, the organic and the grassroots. this is not like a tear down this is a, a spiral up conversation where we're all just trying to elevate our consciousness and awareness around this conversation and how um you know, we may look the other way when somebody throws half of a hamburger away that's uneaten or some meat that goes bad We may not even bat an eye at that um, But if somebody were to if a hunter were to do that, it would be Finable quite honestly, and um, I do often oh, wonder waste. like, Yeah, it's waste. so I, I do wonder sometimes if especially in the United States we have um, And you know an obesity epidemic diabetes epidemic our national health is really declining And I do wonder if there were, um, larger, like larger price tags for things that, um, like meat specifically that we would, we would, um, it would be more of a delicacy and less of a consumable that can be wasted. And through that, um, we would be saving animals lives and we wouldn't be breeding animals to be slaughtered, which just feels really, um, I don't know. The energy of that feels really upsetting to me, and I recognize that as a human. Um, I need some s- form of protein and meat, and I'm I hand raised as a hypocrite because hi- hypocrite because <laughs> every now and then I will eat meat, but I always have this internal dialogue about it. And the other day, um, Ellie, my six year old, we were in the car getting ready to go get dinner um, after a long week, and she goes, "You guys, I need to tell you something." And we said, "What, honey?" She goes. I'm not getting chicken nuggets. I'm not eating chicken nuggets anymore. And we said, why Ellie, like what? And she goes, chicken nuggets are made of chicken. Why didn't anybody tell me? And she was really upset. Like we had pulled the wool over her eyes. And, um, and so now we are not eating meat as a family because Ellie is like policing my meat consumption. But because I have a very accountable little buddy keeping me accountable, every time I go to make those decisions, I am conscious about it. And so that's all the purpose of this conversation is. We're not on a pedestal. We're not on a soapbox. We're just trying to elevate the, um, our conscious collective about this.
2: If, if you'd so, take a look at commercial harvest of any animal, it's, it's, um, it's not pretty usually when there's a, no, a large yeah. mass operate. Yeah. It's not there's okay. a lot I mean, of
1: documentaries even, on it. There's yeah, a lot of yeah. really good documentaries on it.
2: Once you take a look into it, you're like, Ooh, this is kind of like dirty, almost like, yeah. oh, this is tainted, even though I'm like, I've had steak, and like, I've had yeah. really good ribeye, and I'm like, it's good, I'm going to eat it, but I feel tainted, you, feel you know?
1: And you know what, if you're taking in meat, so there's this thing um, in metaphysics called Karelian photography, and it's actually not so metafi- metaphysics anymore, it's the idea that we can actually capture the electrical current of Um, our food sources. So like if you take a picture of an apple or a piece of broccoli, it's like, especially if it's freshly cut or just like fresh from the vine, it's literally electrified and it's like a living food. And then if you take a piece of like meat, like dead meat, it still has electrical impulses, but it's a little bit duller. So you can Google it, Mm Kirlian photography, K-I-R-I-L-I-A-N. I just wrote a ritual about it, um, feeling the energetics of our food and, um, I had my members go through like the grocery store and feeling the energy of the different foods that you could purchase. And if you hold it in your hand, even without reading the back and knowing if it's locally sourced or organic or pasture raised, but just feeling it and knowing like, is this um, something I wanna put in my body? Because ultimately what we put in our body feeds our soul and feeds our spirit. So before the break, we were talking about environmental protections, resource management and wildlife activism and uh how you got involved in that and um we talked a lot about how restricted um licensed hunting and fishing in the in the united Mm -hmm. states funds the preservation of natural resources and Mm -hmm. um right now we're sort of talking about what the if there are any lessons that the cattle poultry or pork industry can learn from natural resource management anything you want to add to that before we move on to the next question
2: well even like if you just that's a that's a beast that's a tra- track the money where is the money going what what is happening obviously if people are going to consume it
0: mm-hmm. then
2: there's going to be a market for it mm-hmm. um like look at if you're not into hunting or you're an anti-hunter and you're like well i only eat vegetables well, when a combine goes through a field and harvest those fruits vegetables whatever it may be they're going through and killing millions of and it, depending on the size but Thousands, mark it down. Voles, moles, rabbits, they're going through and tearing it up. So it's like, well, I only eat, you know, I, I only eat uh, vegetables. Well, it's like, hey, you still have blood on your hands because they go through. And of course, the deer love, they love to eat that, you know, the, the vegetables there and, and, the, and the food that people have grown. So they're killing all sorts of animals, innocent animals. So whether it's the uh, beef or the meat. Industry, so you're talking about on, on
1: large, large control. scale, yeah. Absolutely. So, so when you can buy as close to the forest or as close to the farm as possible, and meaning forest, um, just re- research where your food comes from. Is the is the basic is the bottom line um, is the bottom line, and also knowing that you're per you have purchasing power, and every dollar you spend is a conscious choice, and you're either mm-hmm. adding to the to the issue or taking away from it and when we consciously withdraw our dollars one by one things change and and that's that's the bottom line um so we were talking about we talked about how you became involved in resource management and wildlife activism you grew up doing this and um Mm -hmm. decided to take on a more interactive role and then Mm -hmm. i want to say like how have your views on hunting evolved over a lifetime? Because you you grew up in a lifestyle and you're still with it. I grew up in a lifestyle. I never really liked hunting and fishing. I would go along because I knew that I loved camping. I still love camping. But the hunting and fishing was just never for me. I would have rather picked a bunch of berries and and dug up a bunch of carrots. <laughs> what well, say well,
2: you? Well, takes gatherers. yeah. Yeah, it takes
1: gatherers.
2: Yeah. We yeah, need... <laughs> well, so first, uh, you know, when I was an undergrad, I realized I wanted to be, become part of the shot industry the shooting hunting outdoor trade industry and so naturally being a hunter mm-hmm. uh, penn state uh, i had anti-hunters throwing all sorts of haymakers at me and i had to like hone my message and like understand okay what i'm yeah. doing is conscious effort and i realized that all of my arguments no matter how articulate um, I could preach about the Robertson-Pittman. I can preach about the North American model of wildlife conservation. I could preach about all those things, but that doesn't mean it's going to stick because some people will make feel based arguments versus scientific fact-based arguments. And so I just would go back to scientific-based and then try not to get high level. I know I like to get excited, but try not to get high levels. Like, hey, like I know what my dollars are doing and that's now after going off and coming back and, and really realizing I'm not going to change these opinions, I started getting involved in regulation change, which regulation change, you know, there's the Board of Fish and the Board of Game in Alaska for uh, that make changes to the hunting and fishing regulations.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's
2: advisory committees that take in these proposals and say, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. Vote yes or no on it. And you have a quorum of individuals to change and to protect animals or to harvest a surplus but basically just being a part of top-down regulation change and then also trying to keep some of that noise out when you read a proposal that comes from an anti-hunter. Or you read a proposal that comes from a non-hunter where it's like, okay, let me just let me read this. Think about it. You, you're in a quorum full of uh, individuals who are much more saged and um, experienced than I am. So sometimes my opinion changes based on what somebody else says in this room. And then that goes up the board to the board of game. And sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't, but they take advisory committees more seriously than they do. Just some Joe Schmo comes to the board of game and says, Hey, I've got a problem with this, which there is anti hunters. There's all sorts of people, but it's kind of uh, like Robert's law. It's really controlled. Um, it's like local then,
1: activism. No, would you, Would you consider all of this local activism?
2: Yes. And, but it's across the entire state. So there's all these different advisory committees that are across the entire state of Alaska. Um, and they meet up and basically they're trying to influence cause Alaska is huge. They're trying to influence their individual area where they mm-hmm. recreate. So Does that's it happen where happen in the
1: lower 48 as well across the U.S.? Um, I believe
2: in some capacity and more people are, uh, it's not just cause at the board of game, you can have somebody at the board of game, that has a political agenda. Now we're getting into politics. I was like, okay, not into the politics. Oh goodness gracious! There's <laughs> people, there's lobbyists, there's all sorts of stuff. Oh yeah, track, track the dollars. What what is this funding? What does this go for? So I, I don't know. Speaking we, we of need...
1: funding, we have to take a commercial break. <laughs> oh,
2: goodness gracious! <laughs> I mean, How deep you want to go?
1: No, no, we we really do have to take a commercial break. So um, you're listening to Golden Otter Radio. When we get back, we'll have more on. Um, More with millennial outdoorsman, Austin Manelik. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, you're just one moon away from living your best life. Did you know you can transform your life in 30 days with lunar manifestations? Start using the law of attraction to manifest by the cycles of the moon. I'm Autumn Seibel, and I just created two incredible platforms for you to finally step into who you're truly meant to be in this life. Visit goldenotter.us to begin your manifesting journey today. That's golden like the precious metal, otter like the precious animal dot U.S. We are back on Golden Otter Radio with me, Autumn Seibel. I have millennial outdoorsman throwback, Austin Manelik here, founder of Mission Alaska, discussing the bridge between the metaphysical and the mainstream. Now he's going to give us more information on how we can each be responsible stewards of the Earth's resources and begin to meet, make peace with eating meat. So um, before we went to the break we were talking about um, If we evolve as a species away from the need to hunt for our food Or to possibly even eat meat What are ways we can preserve our uniquely human heritage as hunters and gatherers? So we were just talking about that how You um, you really enjoy the hunt and it's less about pulling the trigger In fact very little about pulling the trigger and very much so about the adventure packing the family up and going out and um, exploring new lands and exploring new territory and having having a genuine adventure you don't know like you've told the story at the top of the hour during your golden moment segment um that you were packing out from a hunt and you didn't know if you were going to come home or not I mean it doesn't get much more adventurous than that and in the modern day that's a um really unique way we can preserve our human legacy but then there's gatherers like myself and we will talk about what gatherers like myself like to do in the woods in a minute um but what are ways that you think we can preserve our uniquely human heritage as hunters oh man
2: getting out and recreating i mean every dollar counts going out and like stimulating local economies in these small towns going out and exploring humans are explorers by nature but Mm -hmm. and you don't i mean you can live sure you can live a great life without eating meat you can you know combine rice and beans and you can do some stuff but at the end of the day, like you want some rocket fuel, you're going to want some wild game after a while. So, <laughs> um, basically, we were talking about the agricultural um, harvest of food, and you know there being you know blood on everybody's hands, so to speak. And it's like, well, I don't know what we do. I don't want everybody to be a hunter. You know, there's all sorts of gatherers and there's things that grow wild, but because yeah. all these public lands. You start looking at public lands and crowding and resource crowding. Yeah. Um,
1: i you talk but, about resource yeah, crowding like in Alaska it, during salmon season.
2: Oh, Ooh. yeah. Well, Those riverbanks
1: there.
2: Right, and it's feast or famine. It's like, go catch your fish now because the salmon have, have to reach their escapement to be able to spawn and come back. That's all set in place by fishermen's licenses. Mm. So a certain number of salmon get by then, hunt, uh, then, then anglers can go ahead and go to the riverbank and start catching these fish because they already have their number of fish that are going to breed. That's mm-hmm. the same thing with animals—the carrying capacity. The, the departments of fish and game across the United States are not going to overharvest uh, generally animals. If they do, then they go back to the drawing board. They say, "Okay, we've got to close hunting this area because you know there's too many animals taken; it needs to bounce back." Mm-hmm. that's the same thing with predator management and we can go down that rabbit hole later yeah. but um basically Let's go
1: down a more metaphysical rabbit hole how can hunters and fishermen add a spiritual element to their hunts is there a way to um bless or or thanksgiving that they can give to the animals you talked a little um, bit about that
2: when you when you get out and you do it enough and you realize like you're you're not really going out there like i was called my outdoor sermon you're not really going out there to catch, even though that's like one of the main goals, to catch your fish or catch an animal, kill, kill your food, take your food, and know where it came from.
0: Mm-hmm. When
2: you start getting out, you start really thinking about it. And this is like the level of sports. And once you do it enough and you really realize like, wow, I like this, I'm excited about it. And then you keep go out to get that, capture that same excitement.
0: Mm-hmm. But you're
2: also realizing, you know, and you're sharing it with people is you are, you're passing it forward to the next generation. And they are going to be the protectors of the realm. They're going to be the ones who are protecting the resource because they're buying their licenses and they're going out there and they're going and doing it. And when you give back, you know, like it's it's not about the hook or the catch. It's 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 about the adventure and about the exploring. So if we didn't have hunters and fishers that were fighting for our public lands and keeping our public lands public, um we'd have an entire our national forests, our, our public lands, BLM lands they would all be developed. And yeah. all of a sudden there's, you know, that's why you have high rises to accommodate more people. Because yeah. Once you have that fringe, it takes away all the natural uh, animal's habitat. So it's like, you really got to start just thinking about it, track the money and what hunters and fishers are actually doing. They're preserving wild lands, not just for hunters and fishers, but for people to get out and adventure and explore and to go look for their adventure, however they want to have it.
1: Okay, so to get a little bit more metaphysical, because you know how, you know what I do, I'm a medium, I talk to people on the other side, and I know that animals transition as well, and we talk a lot about like horses and cats and dogs and domesticated animals, and when they transition, how they come visit us from the Rainbow Bridge, and that's pretty big in the um, metaphysical mindset, there's a pretty firm understanding of that um, in my neck of the woods, if you will um but i sometimes wonder about um wild animals and if when they are taken they if their souls are released in a um respectful way if they if they also see that as a um a blessing to the land and they see their mm-hmm. their overall contribution um i don't know maybe maybe i'll maybe i'll have um somebody on who can talk a little bit more about that but i i wonder that i've got something for you What's i've got something
2: for you so um but they, they have americans here um in alaska some of them in the far north they're polar bear hunters where they would, mm-hmm. you know take a polar bear's life and they'd always they'd bring in oh, the head by the fire and they would say yeah. they would come yeah they would come and they would My say like man. hey i respect you i honor you and polar bears you know part of the family it's like the system of honoring and it's like hey if, if i'm going to go to anybody I might as well go with this guy. Like, I'm going to give myself to him. Same thing with moose. The Native Americans will say, you don't pick your moose. Your your moose picks you mm-hmm. because you've obviously been like a, a good hunter. You're going to honor the animal and bring it back. And, you know, like, I would like to think if um some people, like, if I, if when I die, I want to be reincarnated and come back as a saber-toothed tiger, a liger, <laughs> you know, like right. a snow leopard, something like real aggressive, an eagle. And I'm kind of like... And if I was to go and come back, I'd want to be a doll sheep. I want to live amongst mountains. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a prey, but like, I'm one of the most handsome prey out there. And I sit <laughs> up on top of the mountain and I'm looking down on everything. Kind of like, I see you trying to get me, but you're not going to get me. I'm yeah. going to go up to my castle and hide out. But they're just to me, like one of the most handsome creatures. And there's, there's all sorts of honor. That's why I do bring the animal heads back and like I taxed yeah. because I think back, it's just a, it's a physical representation of the memories that were made. And that's all that is because the meat's gonna be long gone. Um and, you know and I mean. when I'm long gone, I don't know what my kids are gonna do with you know, all of my trophies, whether they, you know, sell it to a um a dog chew factory or something like that. I don't
1: know the Smithsonian. Know. There's you know, some of these trophies do have um value in the sense that we were at the Smithsonian and there were some narwhal exhibits that were on loan from Private collectors, and without those, like I mean, for my daughters and for me too, which narwhals are um, mm-hmm. local to Alaska, to actually see that in a museum in D.C., I was like, wow, I've never even seen one of those where I grew up. Um, you know what I would come back as if if well, in spirit, in animal spirit real, animal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: a, a squaw squatch, a bigfoot, which You'd just be for a,
2: fun, would you be an albino or like a golden one? A oh, golden, golden, for sure. Gold, golden
1: for sure, golden,
2: golden hair. Where would you uh, live? British Columbia.
1: Pacific Northwest, yeah, because mm-hmm. then you've got, like, the fishing, the hunting, mm-hmm. low populations, relatively settled, temperate climate, Pacific Northwest, for sure.
2: Well, I've got something for you about, like, Squatch. They're, like, I said, you that podcast.
1: Yes, yeah, Wild Thing um, is the podcast. Check it out. She does a great job. Laura Kramps is
2: their name. Basically, they don't have a specimen of, of, of Sasquatch. Yeah. So, if I was out hunting, it's like, uh, hunters talk about this, well, what do you do? You've got a rifle and you see this, you know, primate. Yeah, killer capture. Wood, that's the you, Yeah. So that's the whole thing. How do you cap? I wouldn't be able to capture a Sasquatch. Come on. If this thing's a primate, I wouldn't be able to fight a chimpanzee. Those things are mean and strong. <laughs> so there's no way you're going to be able to catch them. But if you, if you see one and you shoot it, then you'll have a, a specimen where they lay it out yeah. and put it in the museum, take it to places. And they've got a scientific specimen. But if, you see it, and you're like, "Yeah, I, I I
1: saw it," and then you start to tell people about it. Yeah, and, then and you're, you're the crazy person who talks about it. I always might, say that I want like to see a Bigfoot so hunter. bad. Yeah, look at us—we're getting so zinged up about Bigfoot. This is what we should oh, talked about—the whole stinking show. I've
2: never seen one. I've never seen one, but I don't know if I did yeah. hypothetically. Even, if I'd I would actually shoot it, and then if I would just take it, I probably wouldn't even tell you because you'd get me back on here, and you'd be like,
0: "There's this oh, dude
2: called Alaska."
1: If, if Bigfoot is, is a real cre- creature and not just a mythical creation of our collective imagination, then it would. I mean, the future of hunting or farming farming in the region it's, it resides, it would just fundamentally uproot our nation. I had an interview with a scientist named Dean Radin a couple shows ago, and he was mm-hmm. talking about putting consciousness as a fundamental ele- element of like our belief structures and how it would mm-hmm. change so many things, but then a lot of things would stay the same. And I wonder the same thing about Bigfoot. Oh my gosh, we could talk about this at length. Sometimes when I'm having a hard time sleeping, I will literally just imagine myself in a forest meeting Bigfoot. And then I like go off into lucid dreaming land and that's my happy space. But with that, it's time to go. Um, (laughs) I know, whatever. We we will, I'll have to have you back on to talk about Bigfoot. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for listening and be sure to follow Golden Otter Divinations on Instagram as well as Mission AK where you can check in with me and let me know about all your golden moments so Spirit and I can cheer you on and Austin can cheer you on in all of your outdoors outdoor adventures. Also, if you'd like to contact me, Autumn, or join my monthly manifesting membership, Lunar Manifestations, visit my website, goldenotter.us. That's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal. Please take a moment to sign up for my biweekly email and get up-to-date information on all things golden otter. I want to thank my guest today, Mission Alaska founder, Austin Manelik, for sharing a wealth of information on reconnecting with our ancestral roots. And I want to thank you all for tuning into Golden Otter Radio. I had an amazing time sharing this sacred co-creation space with you. Have a great week, and I'll feel your vibes back here next time. Thanks so much for joining
0: us, Austin.
2: Thanks for having me on, Otto. <laughs>
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to Golden Otter Divinations, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with Autumn Seibel. Tune in the first Friday of every month at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Exploring where the metaphysical meets the mainstream, Golden Otter Divinations helps you draw in the abundance that is yours by Divine Right. For more information or to listen to this show, visit GoldenOtter.us. That's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal.us.